0: This is Psalms to God, Season 6, Episode 3, Repetition in Prophecy, The Exodus. You can find the show notes to this episode at www.psalmstogod.com. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. Ecclesiastes, Chapter 1, Verse 9. King James version. Welcome back to the Psalms of God podcast. This is your host, Ree, and today we're talking about prophecy, specifically as it relates to the book of Exodus, the first 12 chapters or so that cover Moses, Moses going to Egypt to tell Pharaoh to let the people go, and the plagues. Now, Exodus might seem like a strange place to start, and maybe it is, but Exodus is one of those books for me that I love it because it has so many applications. One of the things that really got me into studying the word was seeing how something that seems very straightforward, very literal, um, can have so many spiritual applications and can apply to so many other parts of your spiritual journey or other parts of the Bible and connecting those dots. One of the most popular ways to connect Exodus to the rest of the Bible is through a spiritual interpretation as opposed to the literal interpretation of them coming out of Egypt. Egypt becomes sin in general and bondage in general and Israel becomes the body of Christ in general, right? And then when you start looking at like the Passover, Jesus is our Passover lamb And we get this metaphor for like our actual spiritual journey coming out of bondage, following him into the wilderness, and then eventually making it into the promised land, which is the kingdom, right? It's a beautiful metaphor. But you can do the same thing when we start talking about the end times, and you still get a ton of good information. Now, in the first episode, I talked about how A lot of people use fear-mongering to kind of scare people into, I don't know, action. I don't know. I feel like a lot of people use the end times as kind of like almost how parents use Santa Claus to get their kids to behave. They're like, if you don't behave, you won't get a present, right? Um... People are like, if you don't follow God, you're going to die in the fire at the end times. And it's coming and there will be fire and brimstone. And it's it's like this fear tactic. And I don't really think that God wants you to love him because you're afraid to burn in fire. I, I don't think that's supposed to be the motivation or the point or or anything like that. But also, the people who talk like that, they tend to just popularize themselves by giving people... Um, something to do to prepare themselves, some physical thing to do. A lot of the channels I have seen that talk about end times often come with something about like preparing, stockpiling. They have lists of foods that you should buy and all of these things. And I find it quite funny, to be honest, when I look at something like the Book of Exodus when I think about what the Bible says about prophecy in general, um, you know, I touched on this a little in the first episode, so I'm not going to go off too much on a tangent, but one of the ways that Exodus really shines in having that conversation is that when the Israelites fled Egypt, they did not prepare, right? We have 10 whole plagues that precede their ability to leave. And not once does God tell Moses to tell the Israelites, Hey, Prepare some food to take with you because you're going to be out in the wilderness for a while. You're going to take this long journey, so you need to have a whole lot of food. That wasn't the conversation. They had the Passover and they made unleavened bread to go with them. And the reason that they had unleavened bread is because they didn't let it sit long enough to rise. They just made it really quick and then took it. The whole thing was there was a haste, a haste, a rush to get out and to go and to flee. Um, and so while there are things that they did take, I mean, God does tell them to take things from the Egyptians that are of value. Those things are things like gold, silver, etc. cetera. Um, he doesn't tell them to prepare like a whole feast or to stockpile any particular type of food. He doesn't say like, make sure you hide away some grain so that you can take grain into the wilderness because you're gonna need food while you're out there. No, instead, God says, I will provide you manna. And that's what he does. Now, that being said, again, point for preparation, for mental preparation. Um, When they get into the wilderness and they have this manna, they are bored out of their minds. They wanna go back to Egypt because they missed the food that they had in Egypt, they asked for quail, or they asked for meat specifically, and God sends them quail. But there's a whole thing about them not really being particularly satisfied in and of themselves with the manna. But the manna provided them with everything they needed. It was a balanced diet. It you know it had all the minerals and the vitamins. But maybe it was bland. I don't know. I don't know what manna tastes like. But that's another thing that, um, going in, you know, knowing that sometimes God provides us with what we need, but it's not the most exciting thing, right? Right now we're used to being able to consume pizza and and macaroni. And uh, I don't know, if you're not vegetarian like me, maybe you like hot wings or something, but there are lots of varieties of food. Like, oftentimes i'm overwhelmed with my options like do i want indian food do i want mediterranean food do i want like mexican food or italian or chinese or japanese thai there there's just so many options of food to partake in if you particularly if you live in like a major city in the united states so imagine that not being the case and you're eating like say oatmeal every day. Um, that doesn't sound super pleasant from a you know food palate standpoint, especially if you're a foodie, but it may be sufficient to sustain you. And that's one of the things that God showed in the Exodus. But he also shows this when he provides for Elijah during his depression. And he's going to do the same thing for his people in the end times. So that's one of the things that I wanna point out upfront because like I said, I want people to realize that it's not, it's not about what we can do. It's about trusting in God through the process. So that being said, I wanna jump into some of the more meaty things for why I wanted to start in Exodus. The first thing that you should know about the book of Exodus is that Moses is a type of Christ. Now, if you're not familiar with that phrasing, a type, it's kind of a literary device. Um, sorry, I didn't really finish season four where we were supposed to be talking about literary devices. But a type is where, it's kind of like an archetype, if you, if you will. Um, you have, for instance, like Adam is a type of Christ as well. Uh, David is a type of Christ. It's basically where you have these same patterns and ideas that are repeated. and it's kind of like a, a like a lower uh, fulfillment and then like a final fulfillment, right? Christ being the ultimate fulfillment of being the Messiah. But there are other characters who have similar or similar like strong similarities to him that you can compare so in the show notes I have like a long list of similarities between Moses and Christ you can probably think of some more I don't think I listed them all by any means but um as you read through the exodus think about how you know Moses you know calling the people out right he calls them out of Egypt revelation says come out of her my people in talking about Babylon or sin, um, you have, you know, Moses is performing miracles, Jesus performed miracles, there will be miracles at the end of time. Just a lot of things that kind of overlap that show his character and Christ's character and kind of this pattern of a deliverer bringing the people out and into the kingdom. Where I want to spend most of the time for this episode is talking about the plagues versus the signs of the end times. One of the things that I find most interesting about Exodus is that there is essentially magic. Um, I have an episode about magic and about how a lot of things that people attribute to being miracles are actually still magic. Um... They're just magic that's performed by God as opposed to by people who are claiming to worship some false god. And what's really interesting is that in a lot of these cases, the same things are done by the quote-unquote bad guys as are done by the good guys. Exodus is no different in this scenario. God tells Moses to do a couple of things one of them being to throw his staff down and it will turn into a serpent. Again, guys, that's magic. That's not a miracle. That's not something that's improbable but happens. That's something that's impossible that happens. And so when Moses throws his, sna- his staff down and it becomes a snake, or actually I think Aaron is the one who throws it down and it becomes a snake. But when it happens, Pharaoh's people do exactly the same thing. They counterfeit his miracles. And this is one of the points that I think is important to know throughout this series. Satan wants to counterfeit God's religion. He wants to be God. Satan's crime is that he wants to be God. Isaiah chapter 14 where, you know, he says I will be like the most high, right? He will exalt his throne and all of this other stuff. That is his calling card. It's not that he is exactly the opposite of, he wants you to worship him instead of God. So he tries to trick you into thinking that he is the ruler. And in such, he's mimicking some of God's tactics, right? If you wanna be successful, right? You would look at who is successful. If you wanted to be a best-selling author, you would read best-selling authors and you would use some of their strategies. If you wanna be a great professor or a great speaker, you would look at people who have excelled in that and copy them, right? It's the same thing, Satan is copying what God does. So during the 10 plagues, the first like three or four, there's a couple of them, where the Pharaoh's people mimic them exactly. And we're told that the closer we get to the end of times, more people will be claiming to be God or be the Messiah. And there will be false prophets, which we are just littered with false prophets. In fact, it may be difficult to find real prophets. And that there would be miraculous signs. And the Antichrist himself is going to fool many people. It says that if it were possible, even the elect would be deceived because he's going to be here performing miracles and having people think that that's actually the Messiah or that's actually, you know, the person that they're supposed to be following. And, you know, that's the same thing that happened in, in Exodus. It's like, wait, so who's really telling the truth? Because you did it and they did it. Imagine you're, you know, you're just hearing this hearsay. Wait, but like who actually did it? Now, also with these 10 plagues, there is a key difference in the first plagues and the last plagues. So the first plagues are experienced by everybody. Everybody. Jews, non-Jews, everybody. Sometimes even animals, right? Everybody is struck by this water being turned to blood or frogs being everywhere. But as we get to the later pro- the, the later plagues, this only affects the Egyptians. <clears throat> and some of them, it's about faith. So the Passover, which is the final plague, they put the blood of the lamb over the door. Again, we talked about the blood of the lamb being the blood of the Messiah. Um, and if they had the blood of the lamb, death would pass over them. This is the same thing at at the very end, the final, final round, when you get to the end of time and he comes back and he's ready to take, you know, his people, it will be those who have the blood of the lamb, those who have believed that will be taken up and everybody else will be killed, right, that'll be the end. So there is definitely parallels in that aspect as well. A lot of people teach this pre-tribulation rapture idea, and we're going to get into that and why that's not a thing. But the, the Bible tells us that there will be a time where the followers of God will be sealed, right? And when they're sealed, it says that, you know, they're not supposed to hurt them when the plagues come down. So anything that happens before the sealing, then we as believers would experience too. And anything that happened after the sealing, we would be witnessing, we would see it happening, but it wouldn't affect us directly. The same way the Passover um, protected the Israelites from death, the same thing with the sealing. So I made this little chart where I was looking at all of the plagues or the signs that were given in Exodus, and then I compared them to the things that will actually happen in the end times because I thought it'd be interesting. Um, like I said, there were these kind of spiritual parallels, but I wanted to see if there were any like actual parallels. And there actually are. So the first thing that happens in Exodus is that there's a new king. And this new king is oppressing Israel. Moses goes out and says, like, hey, let my people go. Um, this is actually a second king after the new king, but there's oppression and then after Moses leaves and comes back, he tells the, new, the, the second new king, you know, to let the people go and instead of letting them go, it gets worse than it was before, right? It's got to get worse before it gets better. And this kind of parallels uh, a couple of different things. So when we read the seven seals, you have the four horsemen of the apocalypse and everything that they do basically causes war. Um, It's strife, it's uh, fighting and discontentment and not peace, um, which is kind of similar um, in the sense that number one, this new king probably wasn't from the lineage of the old kings, otherwise they would know who Joseph was, right? Why do they not know who Joseph is? This was probably like a coup um, within egypt and that like a change of power um change of political parties if you if you will if you need that for relation um and so that kind of alludes to war and strife as well also if you look in uh revelation 12 and 13 or if you look in like matthew 24 you'll see that there is a lot of opposition to god's people leading up to the end times right there's persecution there's the beast and the dragon oppressing God's people. There's wars and rumors of wars. And all of this kind of looks like how the, how things were set up going into the 10 plagues of Exodus. Now, the first thing that happens, Moses has like a couple of things that he does that kind of say like, I am the messenger that God sent. So his hand turns colors. He turns the staff into a snake. We talked about that briefly. Um, And I point those out because similar things happen. Like we're told distinct things about how the Messiah will return. The Messiah returns from heaven on clouds. He does not touch the ground, right? He's not going to be walking around with us here on earth. Um, But the Antichrist will be here on earth. Counterfeiting miracles and trying to deceive people. So the same way you had Moses performing these signs and Pharaoh's magicians counterfeiting those signs, we have a exact definition of who the Messiah is and what his like when he comes back, it's over. It's over, over. Um, but there will be people who try to fool us into thinking they're the messiah. And That's the same thing as Pharaoh's men counterfeiting Moses' miracles, magic, whatever you wanna call it. Um, One of the first things that happens is that Moses turns the water to blood. We see this repeated in Revelation, okay? The sea becomes like blood in Revelation 7. There's another plague on the waters where they become bitter, also in Revelation 7. Uh, that's from the seven trumpets. Then when you look at the seven vials or the seven bowls, depending on what translation you're reading, the water is turned to blood again in Revelation 16. Um, and there's a drought, which is not necessarily water turning to blood, but it's a lack of water. And if the water turns to blood, that's also a lack of water. So this, this sign that God showed in Exodus will reappear in the end. Then in Exodus, there was the issue of the frogs. Now, I didn't see anything where there was like specifically like a plague of frogs, like, you know, like thousands and thousands of frogs are just gonna overpopulate the world. But in Revelation 16, it does say that spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the unholy trio. And the unholy trio is the antichrist the false prophet and the beast right so the powers that be that are not of god will be speaking like frogs Now, i'm not really sure what it means to speak like a frog but that may be a study for a different day now the next couple of plagues that come out uh, in exodus are the plagues of lice of flies plagues on the livestock and There's nothing really in the end times or in Revelation or anything like that that seems to suggest these types of things would happen. Though I would imagine if we have like famines and things like that, there may be some of these things. So for instance, as you have wars, like right now, there are wars in various places. And every time a war breaks out, there is a humanitarian crisis. This leads to not necessarily having time to be sanitary or clean, which can attract flies. Um, it could also allow lice to run rampant, but also it you don't really have time to take care of livestock, so there could be lots of, of deaths and plagues and, and things that could come out during a humanitarian crisis, and we know that there will be wars. So it's not to say that these plagues won't have any presence in Revelation, but they're not specifically mentioned in the text for you to be like, oh, there's a parallel here. Now, the next thing that happens are boils. So in Exodus, one of the plagues is that the people are given boils, these painful, painful sores. And we see that repeated in Revelation 16 during the seven bowl judgments. Um, They're also pouring out sores on the people. Another thing that we see is hail. Now, if you see um, Revelation chapter 7, there's also talk about hail and fire, hail mixed with fire. Uh, This talks, this gets repeated in Revelation 16 and Revelation 21. This comes from the seven trumpets and the seven vials. So, hail in both places. Uh, Then you have the plague of the locusts. Now, once again, there's not a specific thing in the seals about locusts, but I wrote down that the black horse causes famine, and locusts also cause famine. So there's a similar effect, even though it's not the exact same thing. But we do see locusts directly in the seven trumpets, judgments in revelation chapter eight locusts come up then there is the plague of darkness right this is the ninth plague everything goes dark this also we see in revelation in fact this is one of the most common signs talked about when it comes to talking about the end of time it says that the sky is darkened the sun is darkened the moon is darkened Third of the stars are swept from the sky. Um, A lot of things about the heavens being darkened. Now, as we go on, on, we'll talk about metaphors and symbolism and um, how this could be literal and it could be symbolic, but nonetheless, we hear about the sky being darkened in Revelation 6, in Revelation 7, in Revelation 8, in Revelation 16, and in Matthew 24, so throughout discussion of the end times, there is this constant rep- repetition of darkness coming, whether it's coming out of the smoke of the pit, whether it's darkness in the sky because of this or that, whether it's the days being shortened, uh, the sun being darkened, the moon being dark, just a whole lot of parallels there. And the final thing that is discussed in uh, the exodus is, of course, the death of the firstborns. Now, if you go into Revelation chapter six and read verses nine through 11, it talks about the martyrs and the, the cries of the martyrs, the people who were killed for the sake of God. And it's similar in the sense that, you know, you're talking about death and you have these the first borns of of Christianity, right? Like the original Christians, they were killed uh, because of their faith. And that kind of mimics the death of the firstborns in Exodus three, which it's not really just firstborns, but the death of the male children that happens in Exodus three, which again, repetition, nothing new under the sun. This is repeated when the Messiah is born and Herod tries to kill all of the male children, so there is persecution of the believers and there are martyrs and they die but right this is bookended by the fact that the believers are saved by the blood of the lamb and it is the egyptians the persecutors who are killed and that is what will happen in the end right in the end the Messiah will resurrect all of the martyrs, all of the people who have died, and the people who've managed to make it to the end will all go up. You know, they'll be drawn up into heaven, and it will be those who did not believe that are killed. So, a lot of parallels between the plagues that happen in Exodus and some of the things that will happen in the end time. So I I think that when you look at what's happening collectively, like there are things about prophecy kind of littered throughout the Bible to help us prepare. So I know, like I said, Exodus is not the most conventional place to start. And you know, we still have to go in and talk about how some of these things actually look and about symbolism and about like I I brought up the pre-tribulation rapture ideas different interpretations and things like that but i wanted to start in exodus to show you guys that it's not just revelation where you can start having a conversation about this and it doesn't necessarily have to be scary like yeah these plagues are scary but the israelites lived through them during the exodus and we would be able to live through them in the end times and so that is kind of the point that i wanted to make with this episode so next week we're going to talk more about the different schools of thought i think that is the next thing to go to in terms of building the foundation so we're going to talk about the different ideologies and the different ways people approach how they interpret prophecy i think it's important Um, one for me to disclaim the biases that I have and how I interpret prophecy, but also to let you guys know that there are multiple ways to interpret prophecy because I've encountered a lot of people who don't know that. So that's what we'll talk about next week, hopefully next week. If not next week, the week after. And I will see you guys then. Bye!